1981, the year I was born and the birth of the millennial generation. A podcast for the rising stars and venture capital. This is Fund 81. Hey all, thanks for tuning in. Three years after we launched Merge Lane, we decided to raise a second larger fund. And when we went out to fundraise, our pitch looked something like this. We're an early stage seed fund led by entrepreneurs who love helping other entrepreneurs. We have a network of hundreds of investors and mentors who support our portfolio. We aren't afraid to get our hands dirty. We're active partners who jump into the trenches and we've seen the data. We invest in startups led by at least one female leader to narrow the gender gap and prove that investing in women is a powerful investment thesis. And about two weeks into our fundraise, I attended this conference for emerging fund managers and found myself in a room with over 100 equally qualified fund managers with pitches similar to mine, and then about 20 fund managers with pitches basically exactly the same as mine. (laughs) So it caused me to uh, pose four questions to myself and to our team. How on earth were we going to differentiate ourselves with more and more entrepreneurs raising from multiple seed funds? Do entrepreneurs really need all of their investors to be hands-on partners in the trenches? Do we really have enough bandwidth to be in the trenches with all of our investments? And lastly, what kind of value do we actually want to be offering to our portfolio companies? And this led our team to completely rethink how we deliver value. I'll share more about that later. It's something that we're continuing to innovate on, and I know it's on the minds of many VCs. So that's our topic today. And I've invited Ben Capel to join us for a candid conversation on adding value to portfolio companies. So Ben, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. Uh, Excited to be here. So, Ben, just to frame our conversation, can you give us the 30-second on you and Peterson Ventures? Yeah, absolutely. So, Peterson Ventures, we're uh, we're a pre-seed and seed stage firm. Uh, We're based in Salt Lake City, Utah. Since 2008, we've been investing in startups from two key ecosystems. So, you talked about differentiation, and, and the importance of that in this ecosystem for us. We're based in Salt Lake City, Utah. So we do a lot of deals out of Utah. It's a very important market for us. Our founding partner, Joel Peterson, has been a professor at Stanford Business School for about 30 years. So we've invested in about 25 startups led by Stanford GSB alum since 2012. So those are two key markets for us. And uh, we've invested since 2008 in about 100 companies over that time period. Um, and that has led to a, an, another key sources of deal for us, which is our entrepreneurs themselves. So we'll today be talking a lot about how to add value and how we've approached that. And over the years, uh, we've been fortunate to get a lot of great referrals from our CEOs, which has been really valuable to us. Great. And if an entrepreneur asked you what kind of value you'd offer as an investor, how would you answer that question? That's a great question. And obviously we get it all the time. Uh, we all do. And, and we, we tend to focus more on um, what I would consider soft metrics of adding value. So uh, there, there are uh, tremendous 
firms out there that have built platform approaches and have very tangible ways of adding value. They have developers on staff, they have recruiters on staff. It's easy, I think, to understand the potential value that that brings to the table. But what we talk about with our entrepreneurs is we, we have kind of guiding principles that we operate by, respect, trust, and partnership. What's hard about this is that most firms talk about these principles. This isn't, you know, partnership is, is thrown out there all the time. But we, we try to approach it in a way that is, we, we, defi- we talk about respect for what it means to be an entrepreneur. Because um, in, in, in spite of this being the age of the entrepreneur, it's difficult to be an entrepreneur. It's not easy. And, and so having partners at the table that understand that, and, and we approach it from the standpoint of, would we provide you capital? We think about it as we work for you. And so we want to understand what can we do to make you successful? Because if you're successful, we're all successful. And then from a trust standpoint, we think about it as we're backing in the seed stage more than anything else entrepreneurs. We're backing people. And so we're going to trust you to do what you set out to do. Um, and, but hopefully we can have a partnership that enables a free form of communication where you feel comfortable sharing with us good and the bad and the challenging. And we feel comfortable providing to you guidance and direction that will be helpful over the long term of the business. And we feel like when we can do that, there's value to be had on both sides. Now, ultimately, what we do is when we get far down the path with an entrepreneur, we introduce them to our CEOs because that's the best way for them to understand how this manifests in real, real time and in real ways as we work together. And Ben, how many portfolio companies do you have? A lot. <laughs> we, have, we have 55 active companies right now uh, starting to deploy uh, or will be deploying soon a new fund, which you know, we'll be adding more to that. So how do you love, offer that level of service to 55 companies? So it's a great question. And we, we, like what, we, what I've observed over the years is this is something you do have to be careful of. So we, we approach it in, in two ways. One is we really, truly, we really do value syndication. So we've looked a lot of data this over the, on this over the years. And when you have multiple funds, uh, multiple institutional funds involved and around, the likelihood of getting to a Series A in a lot of the data we've seen is over 2x. And so we, we do genuinely believe there is a co-opetition model within seed stage, which we really like uh, when it works well. And so one of the ways we approach it is, is having good syndication partners. And I think when we can do that, then we can sort of share the load. The second way is that while we have 55 active portfolio companies, a lot of those companies have gone on to raise subsequent rounds from new investors. And, and part of the venture model is to pass the baton. But the third way is, you know, early days is, and why personally I love investing in seed stage is because you can develop meaningful relationships with CEOs during this formation stage of business. And that ability to maintain those relationships, to build the relationship early and have a relationship that allows you to have, hopefully be influential, but also be a thought partner uh, without having to devote a tremendous amount of time as the companies advance is the way we try to balance it. Now, 
at the end of the day, venture, we want, we all want to invest in really scalable businesses, but it's really clear that venture itself is not a super scalable model. And so um, trying to find ways to, you know, get the most out of the time and the interactions we have with our CEOs is, is what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, this is definitely something that we think about a lot because we have 49 companies, so fairly similar. And we found a couple things. So one is that as our companies mature, they need different levels of support. And that's luckily for us sort of just worked out. And I think it's more than just luck. I think that's just sort of the nature of of how things go. And we've been experimenting with a bunch of different things to scale the value that we can offer and would love to talk a little bit about that. Merge Lane is a LP in Peterson Ventures and have the opportunity to invest in your fund. And uh, I attended your LP conference a couple weeks ago and you talked about how you've been doing Zoom lunch meetings for your CEOs. And I was curious if, if and how that's working and, and what you've learned there. Yeah, so it's working really well. To provide some context, I think one, one of the things that, that I learned early on is if, if we're backing a bunch of great entrepreneurs and great people, then one of the best things we can do is get those people together and just get out of the way. And so uh, we, we have tried to, over the years, be purposeful about doing that. So, um, you know, pre-coronavirus times, we would do quarterly in-person CEO events, uh, with, which kind of culminated with an annual CEO event that we did in Deer Valley. We were fortunate to live in a, in a great place uh, here in Salt Lake City, Utah, a place where a lot of people like to come visit. And so we, we would hold an annual conference in Deer Valley uh, once a year. And what we found is, is the CEOs had an opportunity to get together and interact, that those relationships survived beyond those interactions. Now, when we find ourselves in this scenario where we're not getting together in person, two things really drove this. One is, you know, mid-March, when things came to a screeching halt, like most people, we, we reached out to our CEOs. We ended up on a lot of phone calls, a lot of board meetings. And in those calls, we heard from them, you know, one, we were beyond impressed with the resiliency of these entrepreneurs, and, and it was a great opportunity to get into the trenches with them and solve real problems. But number two was just the uncertainty of the environment continually brought up questions from the CEOs. Hey, how are other companies handling XYZ? Or how, is, how are other companies handling ABC? So w- we came up with this idea, very simple, which was once again, based on this concept of how do we get CEOs together and, and give them an opportunity to share what's working and what's not working. And so uh, we've set up monthly lunches. We, we you know, find a way to, to buy lunch for them and have it delivered to their house. And then we get together over Zoom. And we try to moderate the discussion mostly so that we can get the conversation going but the idea is that they can share with each other what's working and what hasn't worked. And what we're finding is that the concerns the CEOs have are evolving. So early days, it was liquidity. How do I make sure I have enough liquidity? Will I continue to generate revenue? Will I not generate revenue? What changes to the cost structure of my business do I need to, to, to make? As times evolved, 
we're finding more and more of our CEOs are trying to figure out how do you continue to operate effectively in a remote work situation? The stresses that the employees are feeling at their companies that they themselves as CEOs are feeling are changing over time. And, and you know, can, trying to find ways to keep those companies involved and in, in, are the employees involved and connected to the companies. And so uh, it's been great. We've really enjoyed it. We've got, you know, we'll, we'll continue to experiment with it. But once again, how do we get the CEOs together, help them share with each other, and in a lot of ways, get out of the way and let them help each other? Yeah, that sounds great. Two follow-up questions. So when COVID really started to affect us in March, we did a series of Zoom events for our portfolio companies. And the first few were extremely well attended and we got very nice feedback. And then the attendance started to drop as we came back into slightly more normal life and the companies just got busy. And and frankly, I think there's a bit of Zoom fatigue. Sure. Um, have you seen that with your lunch meetings? Has, it, has uh, attendance yeah. dropped? Yeah. So one of the things that we're doing is we, we're creating, we're trying to create small groups. So CEOs, got a group of sort of five to eight CEOs. So the, the idea is it can be more intimate in nature. Uh, we're hoping to get participation from everybody who joins. And um, the other thing we're trying to do to is to keep those groups consistent for three months, because often what happens in that first session is it's more of a get to know you. Uh, more about the company, about what they're doing. And then the last sort of 20 to 30 minutes is you start to get into real conversation. The hope is that as we can, we maintain groups, maintain some consistency for a period of time and then shuffle the decks. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get good attendance from month to month, which has worked out so far. Now we'll see. And I, I think part of this is we're all learning, we're all evolving, we're all experimenting. And so after every meeting, we send a note to our CEOs, did it work, what, what worked, what didn't work, what feedback do you have for us so that w- we can evolve the experience for them. Oh, that's great. I like that idea. And my second question is, you mentioned that you used to do in-person events for your companies. Do you think that those events were better attended because they had some in-person connection before you started those or so they were better attended, but the, the point was for them to be better attended in the sense that we, you know, and we invited the entire portfolio. And so we were getting, uh, and, and we're fortunate to get, um, you know, a good portion of our portfolio CEOs attending. And that was partially based on trying to develop content or bring content to the table that would be interesting to them, but also have this like event that, that caused people to be interested. And, and I actually thank my my partners and colleagues because my thought was going into this as we continue this feedback, how do we get all of our CEOs together at the same time over Zoom? And and they rightfully pushed back and said, you know, it's a different it's a different setting, different environment. So what if what if we move to this much smaller group setting? And and my partner Alana really pushed for this and has spearheaded it. And it's been great because it, it then the CEOs feel like they're part of the conversation. They can bring their concerns, their questions, and, and feel like they're getting something out of it, uh, which is 
it's harder to do in, in my opinion, the bigger group settings on Zoom. And so that's one of the ways we've tried to, it's been tried to approach it. Smaller group settings where people can feel more engaged and involved over Zoom. And then hopefully, you know, at some point we'll get back to in-person meetings, which will we'll have the broader group because there's value there too. It makes sense. Thank you. And you recently surveyed your portfolio companies to figure out Peterson's NPS score. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about how you did that and what you learned? Yeah. So um, we have always encouraged our companies to do the net promoter score and, and to, to monitor that over time. We, we recognize there are a bunch of challenges with the net promoter score model and, and a bunch of, uh, a bunch of potential issues with it. But what we find is it's a good benchmark and it's good to manage it over t- to observe it and uh, monitor it over time. And so historically, one of the things that I've always done is that we've actually tracked how many of our CEOs have referred us deals. And so we'll look at that on a, on a rolling basis. And, and over like a two-year period of time, on average, about 75% of our CEOs at any given period of time will refer us at least one deal, and often it's multiple deals. And the reason that I've done that is to basically say, if we're delivering on the value proposition that our founders expect, that's a good indication of that when they refer other people our way, especially if it's you know, people that are in a part of their network and they really care about. Um, and some of our best deals that we've done over the years have come through, through that channel. Uh, a couple of years ago, my, some of my colleagues started saying, why are we not, you know, actually uh, monitoring our NPS? Why are we not doing this with our CEOs? And so we started doing that a couple of years ago where we will, you know, really simple format, uh, send out uh, um, survey to our CEOs, asking them to answer the traditional net promoter score question of, you know, how likely they would be to refer us. Um, and we do it anonymously. So we, we really, we want everybody to respond, we want them to know it's anonymous, and then we give them the opportunity to provide comments as well. So, you know, we, we ask them what, what can we do that we're not doing and any kind of additional comments they want to provide. And it's been great for us to not only see the score, but to see how the score is evolving over time. Um, but also it's been a great format to get those those contextual reviews and to have that be an anonymous format, I think really, you know, encourages the CEOs to open up. So uh, we've learned to really value it. And um, hopefully it demonstrates to our CEOs that, you know, we are serious about um, what I said before, which is that, that effectively we work for them. We want them to be successful because then we're all successful and so we're trying to figure out how we, you know, continually trying to figure out how we can do that more effectively and efficiently. Huh. That's interesting. Thank you. And how's the way that you've delivered value evolved over the life of your firm? One in a couple ways. Um, we, we, we still believe that fundamentally adding value is, is a, there's a human element to it. So how, how do we build relationships on these principles of, of respect, trust, and partnership? And, and so that, as we've talked about, and you mentioned, Elizabeth, that doesn't always scale. So as we've grown and as we've added more portfolio companies, I think we've learned to be more focused on our companies that are newest to the portfolio and developing that relationship early on. So 
uh, we've tried to develop more process. So one of the things we'll do is we set up monthly touch points with our CEOs. Um, and that could be a half an hour. It could be an hour. But we found that those early days post-investment are really valuable and critical to building the foundation to that relationship such that as they go on and, and raise subsequent rounds of funding and we're not as involved in the company, we have a base to draw from that allows us to be more helpful uh, uh, as they as they move on. And so we, we, that's one of the key learnings for us. I think the second is, is we, you know, we had to grow our team. We had to evolve our team. And it, as we've done that, one of the, the approaches that we've taken is bringing on um, uh, investment professionals that have operating experience. Um, we just, you know, a lot of my career experience is in investing, and I really have valued the advice that has come from the operators that I've worked with, the operators that we've backed. And so bringing on operators to both expand our team, expand our bandwidth, um, um, has really helped. Uh, and, and But I think what's important about that in, in doing that, in adding people to the team, the the filter for us is do you share this mindset that um, we are here to add value to the CEOs in our portfolio and to the companies, and and are you going to carry on this brand that that we are trying to build with our CEOs? Um, and so as we add people, it's important that those people, you know, share that mindset, and and we've been fortunate to do that. Hmm. If you could have an hour each day and an unexpected extra hour to deliver value to your portfolio, how would you spend that hour? Yeah, I think that's a, a good question. And um, I'm going to continue with the theme that we've talked about, which is for me, you know, being able to do four 15 minute calls with CEOs, a quick touch base on what's going, how thing, how things are going what's top of mind for them today. Personally, I love it. And we do hear this from, from time to time that our CEOs will tell us, you're my first call. When I've got something on my mind, you're my first call. And the reason we like that is because we want to be known as the partner when you don't have your ideas fleshed out, you can call us because we will problem solve with you. And, and that we love doing it. And, and that extra 15 minute phone call that uh, may not be on the books, but is an opportunity to touch base to, to further that relationship and get that top of mind. It, it's, you know, we've done a lot of sort of more formulaic and systematic or, or programmatic things to try to add value to our CEOs, but I keep coming back to the relationship building as a really critical piece to, uh, to doing that. And so it's probably how I would spend it. Thanks. And, and Ben, have you recently made any interesting personal shifts to become a better VC or even just a better person in general? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, always a lot of work to do on that front. But one of the things that, that in, for me, the, the silver lining of coronavirus, if, if, you know, if there is one, is that in March, when we moved to fully work from home, fully remote, uh, you know, kids' activities stopped. Um, 
extracurricular activities went away for a period of time. Um, the thing that I really learned to value was the simplicity of life that, um, you know, a lot of times, and I think a lot of those probably listening or, or on this call, venture capital often gets thought of as this, this great, wonderful life. And the reality is, is that seed stage fund manager and, and venture capital in general, there's a real grind. Um, and so, for example, one of the things that I recognized pretty quickly is how infrequently I was home for dinner over the last 10 years as we've been building this fund. And, you know, so just, you know, trying to find ways to um, do those simple things and making sure that I'm creating the time for that has made, I think, me a better investor uh, because there's, there's um, more, more, uh, more of a calmness or a, a peace in the day-to-day -day, uh, interactions. Uh, made me hopefully a better partner to my partners at, at the office and also made me a better partner to, uh, uh, you know, the entrepreneurs that, that we work with. I, I'd say the second thing is that it's just been a, a tremendous reminder of, you know, the humanity of, of what we're doing. You know, we, this is a transactional business. We, we are doing deals you know, trying to close deals, trying to get in on deals, trying to help our companies progress. And there's a lot of transaction in there. But at the end of the day, we're transacting with people. And, you know, seeing and working with CEOs to solve really hard problems that, that this, this environment has created um, or the situation has created, just sort of reinforce that humanity of, of what we're doing. And, and I think, you know, hopefully can continue to remember the, the importance of the relationships in all of these transactions. Mm. Yeah. You know, through all of this, I've really appreciated the opportunity to invest in entrepreneurs because it's pretty hard to find hope right now. And yeah having the opportunity to invest in entrepreneurs that are just doing extraordinary things is really, I'm just very grateful for that. Absolutely. Completely echo that sentiment. And, and, you know, this, this opportunity to sort of face challenge um, and adversity and, and watching these entrepreneurs who are going to be optimistic by nature and trying to think through and, and navigate purposefully, you know, not only how to survive this, but how to position the business to thrive. And, and sometimes surviving means making some really hard decisions. Um, but at the end of the day, the company's better off. Everyone's better off if you can get on the other side of this and then starting to think through how do we thrive? You know, wh where do we go from here? And uh, really appreciated those relationships and, and that opportunity to, you know, get in the trenches in, in you know, some adverse and in, in, in trying times. Mm. And in closing, if I invite you to be as self-promoting as possible, what's one thing you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, good, good question. And I'm not, I'll be upfront that I'm not, I'm not great at this. So, uh, but what I would say is, you know, I think the, one of the ways that, that we've had success in the past is that um, the framework that I've started to develop where I have two key elements. One is 
is what you have to believe as you think about, you know, why to, why to do a deal. And the second one is, what if this works? And over the years, I've learned, like, sometimes we, we forget to think about what if this works. And, and for us, it's led to us making some non-obvious bets uh, or what a lot of people would consider non-obvious bets that have worked really, really well for us. You know, as event, in venture capital and as an investor, a lot of times our job is to figure out why this won't work. What are all the reasons why this won't work? And we say no to so many things that it's um, hard to sometimes pull ourselves out of that framework and start thinking about what if this works? And, and over the years have learned to make the trade-off of there's a bunch of things you have to believe. And sometimes you'll get comfortable with those and sometimes you won't. But stepping back and saying, what if this works? I've learned to make a trade-off of taking more bets on the what you have to believe for this to work. If I can see a path to what if this works, turning into such a, a, a meaningful outcome that we're all excited we took those bets. And it's led us to some non-obvious investments that I think a lot of people would consider non-obvious investments. Uh, you know, when, when we invested in Allbirds in the seed round, uh, it got a lot of people rolling their eyes and saying, oh, you invested in a shoe company. Uh, that makes sense, you know, with a bit of sarcasm. But a lot of people wear shoes. And if you can find a way to deliver value prop that, that, that Allbirds has clearly done um, and then executed unbelievably well, uh, you know, we've been really fortunate there um, uh, to be invested in that business. And, you know, the, so w w what I think we've done pretty good over the years is try to take a step back, maybe take a second look at things and say, you know, not be too quick to say no and, and try to uh, look at, Hey, w what if this works? And if it does, maybe there's some bets we should be willing to make. Mm, I love that question. Well, Ben, it's time for us to turn off the recording and open it up to questions for from our VC forum. So listeners, we host a monthly forum for emerging fund managers. It's by invitation only, but if you're somebody we absolutely must have in our forum, drop me a line and tell me why. Until next time. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes or share this episode. For more tips on how to be a better venture capitalist, you can check out our website at fund81.com. That's F-U-N-D 81.com. Until next time.